Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 33 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Bumani. Back again, been on a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, it's my first episode of the month of November. Only did two last October. Lots been going on, but I'm really happy to get back to it and have a special guest, Will Sports. It's been on previously, and uh, we got a lot to talk about, Will, from NBA to NFL. Both seasons are kind of intercombobulated with each other, both going on right now. But before we dive into that, I just want to ask how you've been, um, how sport life been for you in terms of keeping up with your IG page and what you've liked the most going on in the sporting world? Uh, I've been good, man. Uh, thanks for having me um, again. Uh, you know, I've been good. Uh, it's been a wild season with uh, all the stuff like college football, NFL, um, you know, all the injuries. And uh, unfortunately that we've seen in the NFL really kind of took it away, though. Um, and then also with the NBA season, I like how uh, those new foul rules are already coming into effect and like you really starting to see a difference in certain players games um, and so I just think uh, it's been overall good so far so I'm, I'm, re- I'm ready to uh, dive right into it. Yeah man those foul rules in particular in the NBA have been profound to say the least we've seen guys like James Harden, Trey Young have their struggles at times to get to the basket but I think with time comes the ability to adjust and I expect all those star players to be a little bit better or to find really that still crafty way to still get to the line by placating to more of a physical style of basketball instead of the ticky-tackness. So that's good mm-hmm. in itself. Uh, we'll dive right into it. Um, football-wise, the NFL season has reached its midseason point. Uh, we have a variety of teams kind of making waves or not making waves, to say the least. And going to start off with one team in particular that we all kind of thought heading into the season. They will be one of those Super Bowl contenders. They have been the last two years. As a matter of fact, they've actually went the last two years in the Kansas City Chiefs. They're four mm-hmm. and four, which means they're at 500. As crazy as it sounds, they're not even out of their divisional race. We know the Las Vegas Raiders, we're going to talk about later. They're five and two right now, but those two teams have yet to play. So Kansas City could really turn their season around by manufacturing mm-hmm. some wins within the division. But really want to start based on what they are currently. You know, they got that Monday night win against the Giants, but it just didn't feel the same. And if we look at all four of their wins, three of them have come in the NFC East when it comes right. to those teams that aren't Dallas. They've beaten Philly. They've beaten Washington. They've beaten the Giants. And so now they got this game against Green Bay coming up or Aaron Rodgers won't be able to play because of the COVID-19 situation that he's dealing with. And right now, before we dive into the in-depth fallacies of it all, just want to touch base on this simple question. What have the Chiefs represented to you personally in terms of this season? Uh, they're a mess. <laughs> they're a mess. I really, I, I'm not impressed at all. Like, I thought this team would come into the year um, hungry, you know, eager to play because of how the Super Bowl went last season. But it looks like the league has kind of figured them out. Um, some of the things that Pat Mahomes would get away with you know, about two years ago, he's not getting away with now. Um, a lot of teams, the defenses are reading what he's doing a little better. Um, you're seeing a decline in play from some of their top uh, receivers and skill players. Um, they're not holding up on the line. And again, Pat Mahomes, his his decision-making this year hasn't been as good as, as in the past. Um, and I think they really need to adjust. Um, with that being said, I mean, they, they still have the talent to be able to turn it around and win that division. Uh, because no one else in the division right now is really 
pulling away or looking amazing. Um, the Raiders, I know, are in first place, but, you know, with them losing Henry Ruggs now, I mean, who knows how that will affect them going forward. Uh, but, you know, the, the Chiefs right now, they're a mess. And I think this is one of them things. This is a game this weekend, even without Aaron Rodgers, it's still a big game because it's against a really good Packers team who I think even without Aaron Rodgers can, is still very much capable of winning this game. Um, Jordan Love, uh, I can't wait to see him play. This is going to be a good opportunity for him on a big stage to kind of prove if he can be that next guy after Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I know it's just one game, but – it's kind of like a glimpse into that, you, you know, the near future for them. So uh, the Chiefs need to really take advantage of this. Um, uh, you know, they're a team that struggled on both ends of the ball right now. Um, and they got to limit the turnovers. Uh, the turnovers are really killing them. Um, I feel like the first several few games where they were losing, they were just losing them on turnovers and self-inflicted errors. And they were doing so much of that that it would cost them and, you know, in the end, they just couldn't win. Um, and when you're continuously giving your opponent a short field, um, it's going to be really hard to stop that. Um, and so I think the Chiefs, I do think they're going to turn it around a little. I still think they're going to make the playoffs. Um, but are they a Super Bowl contender? Definitely not. Um, do I think they can even, Do I would I pick them to even get out of the first round? Probably not. Not right now. Yeah, all of those facts are important and, in my opinion, true assessments. If I might add, I think the most cliche thing anybody says in any sport when you're having sort of a slow start or a lull as an organization is you're just taking one game at a time. And I think that's all Kansas City can do moving forward. The first half of the season was the first half of the season. Now, you didn't end your season totally. You're four and four. You're in a division where technically you're like a game back because you haven't played the Raiders yet. So everything is still in front of you that you want to accomplish. But we'd be not telling the whole truth if their second half schedule isn't what it is. And it's a gauntlet. It's a destiny. Oh, yeah. It's Green Bay. You might have caught a break there because Rodgers isn't playing. But then after uh, Green Bay, you got the Raiders. You got Dallas. It's it's tough. It's going to be tough for them moving forward. I want to really touch base on Mahomes and as the individual player that he is. Uh, 11 interceptions, 12 turnover-worthy plays. He's been sacked 17 times. He's had 17 of his passes broken up through eight games. He's thrown a pick in every game after week one. We knew week one, he was phenomenal against Cleveland. He looked Herculean. It was more of the same. We all expected a continuation of potentially a second consecutive MVP for him in a banner year. And that hasn't really been the case. Want to really touch base on not just Mahomes in his totality and just express that, but their offensive line. They went out of their way to reconstruct it. And it's been very suspect against teams with mightier pass rushes. Um, is a way to protect that horrendous offensive line, I might add, just really getting the ball out quicker, running the ball more? Is that something you feel Andy Reid needs to establish within that offense to cut down on Mahomes feeling like he has to make a big play or hurry his decision-making because he knows the O-line hasn't been great protected? Yeah, I definitely think the first thing, uh, you know, more quick passing game plays, you know, more screen plays, stuff like that, um, to really just get uh, him – get the ball quicker uh and you have receivers who can you know take the take it to the distance you know they they could catch and run and you know play uh make plays for themselves so I think the Chiefs really need to implement that into this offense um Pat Mahomes definitely like I said uh you know his decision making has got to definitely be better he can't try to force things like he's done because um I think that's really 
been their biggest downfall, his biggest downfall. Um, and I think he's trying to live up to this, you know, thing, this name of his, like where, you know, he makes these spectacular plays um, against the defense, you know, the no look passes or whatever. Um, but definitely need to implement that into the office a little more. Um, the run game, I don't know why we're not seeing more of that from them. Definitely we, we give that more of a try. Um, maybe put more people in the box, you know. I just think you got to try some different things because what they're doing right now definitely isn't working. Um, and it's shocking to see because the Chiefs, you, you just come into the year thinking, oh, yeah, I mean, this is a Super, Fo- Super Bowl favorite. Um, but I just think the hype behind that is really getting to them. And um, I'm just really intrigued to see what they do going forward. Uh, and like I said, this week's a huge game to kind of turn the tide and, and really get it going. Yeah, and you touched base on that, really the adjustments, the lack thereof for Kansas City. This season just yeah. feels like a bad continuation of the Super Bowl nightmare. The fences have went out of their way to basically play two deep safeties, basically take away the shot plays that excites the crowd. It gets them going offensively enough, dare this offense to go the length of the field. Now, right. if you look at Andy Reid's pedigree as a coach, when he, when he had Donovan McNabb as his quarterback, Michael Vick, Jeff Garcia, Alex Smith, he's accustomed to more of a West Coast-oriented offense, short passing game, established to run, creative run plays, using two to three backs. Why do you feel like he's not slowly but surely implementing that within this offense this season? And do you feel like that's kind of what it's going to take for them to get out of this funk, especially when it comes down to cutting the turnovers in half than just continuously being a turnover machine week in and week out. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and like I said, they have the personnel to be able to do that. Um, but you got to, the, the offensive line is the weakness of this team. And you got to really um, prioritize making that, limiting that as much as possible, like limiting how much the offensive line is to do as possible. Um, um, I think definitely what you said would be a big help for them. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how the defense can hold up too, because again, the defense has been put in a lot of tough situations this year. Um, and I feel like they've honestly kept the Chiefs in a lot of games with just them being able to stop some of the teams in, in tough situations. So I think definitely I agree with you on what you said. Yeah, the defense in particular, two of the last three weeks have done a pretty good job in terms of containing Passing offense is the football team only had 188 yards passing the Giants at 241. Albeit Taylor Heineke, Daniel Jones, that's your competition. Daniel Jones basically had none of his receiving core with the exception of uh, Tony out there. But I feel like I agree. The defense has done enough. Now, Buffalo, Tennessee, yes, those were just massive tsunami games where the opposition just came in and overwhelmed them offensively. And they weren't able to live up to that because they were turning the football over. But all these other games, Baltimore, um, Los Angeles, where they're just turning the ball over at a rapid rate early against L.A. and then late against the Ravens kind of put yourself in a bind to not be able to win these games. So they have an um, intriguing schedule coming up. But I do feel like Mahomes has to go out of his way to cut down on the turnovers. But it's up to Andy Reid to kind of go back to his old roots in Philadelphia and those Kansas City teams with Alex Smith, where they're much more run dependent. They much more rely on the run to open up everything offensively and understanding that it's okay to have a 15-play drive take up time as long as you get points out of it. It's not okay if you go to the length of the field and you turn the ball over like you did on the opening drive. And I think that starts with 
really the quarterback humbling himself and then Reed being much more of a creative play caller. Right. Um, the NBA. I'm going to dive into that uh, topic that we're going to talk about is the legitimacy of the Bulls and the Sixers. And these are two unique teams I might add because I'm going to actually go see these two ties match up live going to the Sixers-Bulls game tomorrow. And Philadelphia, they're the first seed. They're the number one seed in the East. I always felt like coming into the season without Ben Simmons, they're still a playoff caliber team as long as Joel Embiid stays relatively healthy. He's played every game but one so far, and it's early in the season, so we got to see if this can continue. He's talked about how he's still beat up, and I think we've all accepted the fact that, you know, Embiid's probably going to be beat up for the rest of his career. I mean, his legs have been through a variety of surgeries and damages. It's all about pain tolerance for him at this point, and his pain tolerance seems pretty good considering the fact that he's customarily doing this night in and night out, and he plays somewhat well. But we're going to touch base on Chicago at first. Six and two, I think early on in the year, they beat the bad teams. And I think that's kind of the step that a team like Chicago needs to do, beat the trash teams in terms of being consistent against lower comp, not playing down your competition. And then we've seen them playing against elite competition down the line in Utah, the Knicks, and Philly. When we talk about the Chicago Bulls team, Will, what do you like about them so far that separates them from what they used to be Honestly, post the Tom Thibodeau coaching era. Uh, well, I just love the amount of guys who can play, make, and, and create for others, including themselves. Um, I really love the defensive intensity I've seen out of this team as well. Um, and I just think they're really like the chemistry is already there. It seems like, you know, they're already free flowing. Um, they really hasn't t- taken much of an adjustment period for this team um, because a lot of people thought bringing in a in a guy like DeMar DeRozan, while he's a really efficient player, he's still a ball-dominant player for the most part. Um, but he's fitting seamlessly with Zach Levine. Him and Zach Levine have been probably the best duo in the league to this point so far. I mean, they're both averaging 25-plus on, on really good efficiency. Um, and then you're having great contributions by Alonzo Ball on both ends of the floor. His, his jump shot has improved so much. Uh, you know, he's a really good defender. Uh, on the perimeter and all that, uh, just has really good defensive instincts. Um, and then Alex Caruso, he's been that six man uh, for this team that they really needed. He just come always co- seems to come in and just provide a major spark. Um, Nikola Vucevic just picked up right where he left off. Um, and Patrick Williams, who I thought was a really big loss because you know he's one of them guys. He could be a real nice three and D guy for them. Uh, guard a lot of other teams' best wings, but you lose him, and I think that will come back to bite them later in the year. But I don't think it's going to hurt them too much. I still think this is a team that could win those games. So far, it looks like everyone's on the same page. I think this team's going to keep doing well. Um, I don't, I, I don't see this team matching up well with a team like Milwaukee though, um, because of the size that Milwaukee provide, uh, you know, presents. Um, and I just don't know if the Bulls have the type of guys that can really match up well with a team like that. Um, Brooklyn, I mean, the Bulls have firepower on offense, so maybe that's a team that they can maybe make a series with, um, but they're on par with everyone else. Miami's look good. Um, but I will put Chicago in that same tier with them as, uh, at Miami, you know, Atlanta, Chicago, I think all those teams are going to really get going. As far as Philadelphia, um, 
Ben Simmons, the, that whole situation, I'm impressed with the team for being able to not let that distract them so much so far and be able to really keep their focus in on the court. Um, and they're, they're playing well with Joel Embiid not playing at his best either. Uh, I think Joel Embiid's shooting like 41% from the field. Um, he's only averaging 20. Um, he's just not playing like the Joel, the dominant Joel Embiid we, we've been seeing the past few years. And yet Philly's still getting great contributions from guys like Tyrese Maxey, Seth Curry, um, Shake Milton, all these different guys. Um, and I just I'm impressed with what I'm seeing. Uh, I don't know how sustainable Philly's level of play will be, though, because I do think they're going to need another guy that can really find for him. I would make happen because I think they just need to get him out of the fold and really try to rebuild this whole thing um, so they can focus on the rest of the season. but. Both these teams right now look really good. The game they played the other day was very uh, good. You know, uh, the intensity was there. Um, you know, you saw Chicago nearly come back. The uh, Rosen has just played probably the best basketball since his Toronto days. I mean, he's averaging 27. Um, he looks real comfortable. Um, and I just think both these teams right now, the way they're playing, I think both could be legitimate threats come playoff time, assuming they're healthy. Um, but they're they're not on that top tier. They're on that second tier with you know some of the other teams in the East. Yeah, I'm gonna um, address these two teams one bit at a time. Chicago, as dynamic as they are offensively with Levine and DeRozan, I think they set the tone defensively, and I think that's how they've won all six of their games. Well, probably the exception of Boston, since they trailed and then offensively they were able to catch things back up and utilize that defense to neutralize that struggling Celtics team. But defensively, that's where they make their mark, Lonzo. Uh, and Lonzo and Caruso, they come in and they provide that defensive fortitude, and that's making Levine and I think DeRozan a lot more active and proactive defensively as well. And got to give kudos to Billy Donovan. Um, I feel like Billy Donovan is always good in a coaching situation like this, getting a team and getting a team of young guys, I'm not saying DeRozan's young, but or Vucevic, but guys like Levine, Ball, Caruso, allowing them to develop within the system and maximize your strengths to the fullest to make the team as a whole kind of align with their talents and it's working for them as well I think the biggest thing with the Bulls moving forward I feel like in a playoff situation when their defense isn't able to neutralize other teams offenses which is going to happen everybody's pros and whatnot do they have the offensive efficiency to stay a pace with our competition I feel like it's New York they got down because I think they got a little bit Ball dominant selfish, especially Levine. He tends to do that when things aren't flowing offensively. He kind of becomes more of a ball dominant oriented player, reverting back to what he was when those bull teams weren't good. And I just feel like for this team in the general, they need to be a little bit more efficient, move the ball and whatnot, even when the shots aren't falling. That'll make them better than they can be. DeRose has been phenomenal. I mean, he's shooting almost 40% from three. And I don't think we've ever seen that within him in his career we know he's a mid-range assassin and he's averaging 27 a game so him and Levine was kind of a question for me coming into the year could they operate and score besides each other because one doesn't space the floor one does and it's been effortless they've been able to kind of play off each other well they've been able to move the ball move without the basketball rather well and still get their shots um Lonzo has been kind of what Lonzo's always been shooting the ball pretty well from three playmaking and whatnot but that's my thing with the Bulls efficiency offensively when the defense isn't setting the tone, allowing you to get these easy leads. And Philadelphia reminds me a lot of Washington. I just feel like Joel Embiid is a better player than Bradley Beal, which is why I feel like in a playoff setting, I, I 
could put the chips in and expect the Sixers to win a series than Washington. And Washington is playing phenomenal right now before we get on this pod. They're destroying Memphis. They're about to be six and three. Great job, Wes Unselated Jr. is doing out there with Washington. But I, that's what I feel with Philly. Losing Simmons allows complementary pieces around the team at the guard spot to kind of embolden their offensive upside because now Maxie's running the point and he's just a better offensive player than Simmons shooting wise. And that opens up the floor for a Curry and that opens up a floor for a lot of guys around the basket because we know Embiid's going to demand a double team. You got to be able to knock down those shots and Maxie's playing well. Um, Cork Moss is playing phenomenal. Um, Georges and Niang, who they got from Utah is coming in, giving them a love in the game. They're playing good. And I think it's sustainable. Now, I also feel like, and want to touch base on the Simmons thing again. I know you addressed it a little bit. It puts Philadelphia in a promising spot because now I think it gives them more leverage to kind of hold Simmons pat. When Maury was selling that to the fan base, we're not going to trade Ben Simmons unless we get the greatest deal ever. I feel like that ideology can only work if the Sixers are doing relatively well and they have the means to just kind of put him on the shelf and not worry about him throughout the season. But if they struggle, we know what that Philadelphia sports band fan base represents. They're going to demand Simmons to get moved out for some compensatable parts to make that team better. How do you feel this trajectory that Philly's on right now? I don't expect them to be the one seed forever, but if they hover around the one, two seed in the East throughout the season, what does that do to Simmons' stock in-house for Philly moving forward? Well, I think Philly, I think that another thing about that is that will make Philly feel like, you know, maybe we don't need Simmons as much as we think we do. Um, and they'll be more likely to give him up for less. But um, I think right now, like, I really think they just need to prioritize trying to bring in a guy who can fit around and be better because they've done all this stuff over the years to play to Ben Simmons needs. Um, you even get rid of Jimmy Butler just to make Ben Simmons more comfortable. Um, I don't think that should matter anymore. I think I'm at this point, it needs to be about Embiid and what he wants. And if I'm if I'm the Sixers, I mean, yeah, there's no rush to trade him um, right now with the team doing so well. Um, again, I don't think it's going to stay like this the whole season. I, I do think they're going to fall more to like that five, six range. They're playing particularly well. Uh, Philadelphia and with Simmons not being there, we're seeing they're shooting better from the field, 49% tops in the league, 38% from three, that's third in the league, shooting 82% from the line, and they're still able to protect the win. Fourth in blocks at five, 6.1, rather. Um, Andre Drummond wasn't really able to touch base on them. It's been a solid backup center for them. I thought Dwight Howard played pretty well in that role last year. You saw about Howard with Drummond. He's younger. The defensive prowess isn't there with Drummond but he's younger he's a lot more active I think offensively around the glass he's running on the floor a little better he's even showcasing his playmaking ability which we kind of saw a little bit when he was in Detroit so they're playing phenomenal um I agree I don't think it's sustainable I think I don't see five six two three is is um pretty legit and I also feel like with Simmons you know Philly's been staying patterned right now I think the way things are going Ben's gonna have to play for them um he got fined for not showing up for the Thursday game because he's not communicating with the team about his mental health issues, which I kind of think is a part of his plan to not play for them. I think eventually Simmons is going to have to play. And when he's out there, um, that'll allow Philly to kind of utilize where he's at now as a piece to ship off moving forward. I think they're saying all the right things. I think in Philly's best case, 
they they got a sliver of hope, feeling like we're playing well without Ben. If Ben comes in and buys in, we could be even better and live up to our ceiling. But I think that ship has kind of sailed. And I think at this yeah. point, you want Ben, you want Ben on the floor to up his trade value for the benefit of Simmons and the right. team. And as much as I feel like Ben Simmons has handled this whole situation really bad, and I do think a lot of it isn't his own doing. I think Rich Paul's got in his ear thinking this is the way to go, and it hasn't worked out at all. Um, I do think Simmons is going to step on that Philadelphia 76 floor and play for them for about a 15-20 game period, elevate his stock, and then they could get somebody else in there that kind of revolves around what they're building in Philly. But I think right now Sixers, in my opinion, are a better team than Chicago because they – this squad has been together. They they were in the conference semifinals, the Thigh Bulls, the Tobiases, the Maxis. They've all had run. They have cohesion. Doc Rivers has a philosophy that everybody's following suit with. They've developed that type of chemistry level to where they can come out and play like this. And let's be real. If they just didn't go cold against Brooklyn, this is an 8-1 basketball team. They really only got outplayed by the Knicks, um, I think, the second week of the season. So this is a legit team, I feel like, in Philly. Um, we'll see what happens moving forward and speaking of teams that are kind of in unique situations talked about the nba want to delve into the nfl the raiders and the saints uh raiders are leading their division the saints are second in their division but currently at the tiebreaker over tampa so tampa's on a bye week so saints go in at home and beat the falcons they'll be leading in their division after the conclusion of week nine they're both similar in the context of they're dealing with in-house issues that have kind of got their seasons looking a little bit bleak down the line. Let's touch base on the Raiders. We know the Henry situation is what it is. It's been trending throughout the world, and it's an unfortunate situation for the person that lost her life behind. Ruggs' ineptitude in terms of getting behind the wheel when he was drunk. The irony of it all is he lost his best friend the same way. So you would think losing your friend and kind of going through that process would make you appreciate life in general and also not want to put anybody in harm's way like they did your friend didn't work out that way and rugs is probably going to be in prison for a very long time but that raiders offense is going to miss him because he was their source of receiving productivity and the team's been a little bit different since gruden's left they've won two straight game against denver and i think they beat i know they beat denver they beat denver and philly and obviously denver and philly aren't world beaters but they're average teams in their own right to where if you don't come in locked in, they can clip you. And they've played well, but this Raiders team currently is first place in a division where Kansas City shows some flaws. The Chargers have kind of fell off their high horse with two humbling defeats. Are they legit? Or do you think this is just a flash in the pan? I, I don't think the Raiders are legit, um, especially now without Henry Ruggs. Like you say, he was their main source of offense. Um, I, I mean, they still have some some solid guys on the offensive end. Derek Carr has had a really fun, really good year, um, you know, to start. Uh, but they've also had a lot of games where they could have easily lost, um, you know, and they couldn't, they just couldn't move the ball enough offensively. Um, the last few games though have been pretty a pretty good sign because you know they had lost to the Bears a few weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, I don't even know if this, you know, I think they just got off to a hot start. But, you know, they, they kind of turned it back around a little. Um, now they're five and two. But when you look at the schedule, I mean, schedule is really tough. Um, you, you got the Chiefs, you got the Bengals, Cowboys. You got the Chiefs twice, actually. Um, the Browns and the Browns might be better by that point. So I, I think the Raiders right now would not say they're a legitimate threat in the AFC. 
um, there's just too many other teams right now that I would pick against them in a playoff setting, um, whether they're home or not. Uh, and the division, like I said, is just really tough. Um, losing Henry Ruggs, though, it's unfortunate. Like I said, like you said, um, I really feel bad for the family of that person in the car. Um, don't drink the drive, people, please. Uh, learn from, from what he did. But I would not say the Raiders right now are legitimate threat. Yeah, yeah. Big one that you said, don't drink or drive. Totally not the way. Um, you think people would learn that by right now. It's 2021. We've had tons of stories where that's happened to a variety of people. And, you know, still have these situations happening. So, granted, the message hasn't been fully gotten. But you hope a situation like this one kind of paints a realistic light on the dangers of doing so. Uh, you know, Derek Carr's passing efficiency the last two games has been good. And really early on in the season, he was getting a lot of love for his ability to just make plays in the passing game. And I think we all know Derek Carr has talent and we all felt like under John Gruden, Gruden's lack of trust in him kind of limited that passing game's upside. And this year they kind of relied on him to get things done and it worked well. But over time, we realized that, you know, Derek Carr is still at the end of the day human. And as much as an underrated passing talent he is, he needs a running game behind him to be productive. And they didn't have that because Josh Jacobs was always hurt. But finally, when Gruden's out, get the new coaching regime, well, new head coach in, new philosophy, new thought process. They start running King and Drake more, which is why they bought him here to join the team on a two-year deal. He's been much more productive in the rushing game as well. He incorporated in the run game, 15 carries, 70 yards, five rushing first downs in a game against Denver. He played particularly well. So they've been running the ball more. That's helped a lot. And that's allowed Carr to be even more efficient in the passing game. But the big thing for the Raiders has been their defense. You know, when Gruden's been here, they haven't had a pass rush. Their only good pass rusher was Max Crosby. And now this season, Max Crosby is doing what he's done. But Yannick Ngakwe helped a lot. And everybody else in that D-line has really made that collective front seven much better than it's been historically. And that's helped the secondary a lot. That's starting young guys because uh, – you know, their regular people aren't aren't there. Obviously, um, Averett has been a bust for them. But Casey Hayward's had a revelation. Nate Hobbs has been productive as a fifth-round pick. It's allowed their secondary players to be much more prosperous in pass defense because you got a D-line that's applying 162 total pressures, 23 sacks, 41 hits. Um, that performance they had against Denver where they were just living in the backfield, terrorizing Teddy Bridgewater. The big thing with this D-line has been they've played suspect O-lines. When they went against the Chargers and lost to them on Monday night, that pressure that was terrorizing the whole league early on didn't really get the Herbert. As the competition steepens when you play Dallas and whatnot, and Cincinnati, whose O-line has been surprisingly underrated this year and improved, do you feel like that continuous pass rook that the Raiders have been able to get will be sustainable long-term? Uh, yeah. Um like you said, I mean, they, they, they've improved so much this year. Um, and I feel like it's been, it's been sustainable up to this point. Um, I do think, like you said, the schedule, like I said, the schedule will be getting a little tougher, um, but they, they don't face a lot of super amazing offensive lines going forward. So I think definitely, like I would say that's sustainable. Um, I just don't know if they're going to be able to um, hold up enough offensively losing a guy like Henry Ruggs, um, if they're going to be able to generate enough offense to be able to, you know, kind of uh, take advantage of that. Yeah, they're really going to have to be leaning on 
Darren Waller, who was a revelation yeah. the last two seasons, hasn't been so much this year. In and out with injuries hasn't been really a huge focal point offensively because defenses they've seen the tape the past two years. He's getting much more respect in terms of bracket and double coverage that allowed Henry Ruggs to be much more of a factor down the field. But he's going to be a guy that they're going to have to lean on. Hunter Renfro, known as third and Renfro, has been huge on third downs. He's going to be having he's going to be much more acute a part of that passing game. Brian Edwards, who they've liked a lot. He's going to have to step up as well as Zay Jones. So you're right. That passing game, take a hit. And we're going to really see these next games coming up against individual rivals, how much more advanced it can be without that speedster over the top. The New Orleans Saints are the other team in the NFC. They're they're unique. You know, Jameis Winston is gone. Michael Thomas is gone. So your starting quarterback and top flight wide receiver are no longer on the team. But the crazy part about it is, Saints have kind of been playing without a legitimate passing game all year. They've been playing and operating like they don't have a legitimate passing game all year because, you know, I've always said this to, you know, Saints fans. I think this is Sean Payton's worst coaching job in his career. And obviously it doesn't look that way because they're five and two, but I feel like a lot of that is because of Dennis Allen and what he's been able to do within the defense and, you know, Alvin Kamara being Alvin Kamara when he's given his touches, but they're a 5-2 team that doesn't have their starting quarterback or wide receiver. Trevor Simeon's going to be the starting quarterback for them moving forward. As great as this defense is, I think the question I'm really here to ask as a Saints fan to you, we know a Super Bowl isn't going to happen with this team. Can they at least get to the postseason with that elite defense backing an even more crippling passing game with a new quarterback? Uh, I, it's, it's really tough. Um, I mean, like you said, the defense is amazing. Um, you look at the schedule. I mean, there's a lot of winnable games, uh, but when you lose your starting quarterback uh, and you were already already kind of limited offensively um, and now you're just taking even more of a hit and you're becoming even more limited. I just really, I really don't see that holding up. Um, I think with the, the, the type of offenses they're going to be playing, they're going to be playing, you know, the Titans, the Cowboys, the Buccaneers again, the Bills. I, I just don't see that holding up. Um, uh, hopefully they can get healthy a little bit before um, the postseason because I think this team could be really good. Um, you know, right now they're in the lead in the division, and, you know, it's crazy because, like you said, like they have a lot of issues right now. But I, I don't really see it holding up with all the, the key guys they're missing. Um, you know, I, I think Trevor Simeon, you know, what they did last week was nice to be able to hold up and be able to knock off Tampa, but I, I think that's a miracle. I don't think that's going to keep happening. For sure, for sure. It was a miracle to say at least with Simeon. Um, you know, defensively, they, the Saints have had a solid defense. I'm not going to even say solid. They've had an elite defense since 2018, and I think a lot of guys forgot about that coming into the year because Drew Brees isn't there anymore. Michael Thomas is going to be out for regular week. So they open with Green Bay and everybody's predicting a massacre. They set the tone against the Packers. And I think after that, seeing what Green Bay has been able to do recently, I think people forgot that again against Tampa, that this is still a stout defense. They set the tone against the Buccaneers, three takeaways to none. I think they're just going to have to hope that Trevor Simeon can be what he was his first time starting with Denver for a season. And that Simeon gave 19 touchdowns, 13 picks, barely threw for 3,000 yards. And he was supported by a Denver Broncos defense that, no, they didn't live up to what they were in Super Bowl 50, 
but they were top five-ish enough throughout the year that they finished nine and seven. If Simeon can be efficient with the football, not turn it over, it gives them the best chance to win. And obviously the coaching staff feels like Simeon's a better fit than Taysom Hill because as dynamic of an athlete as Taysom Hill is, precision passing-wise, he isn't it. And I think they're going to lean on because it looks like they're not going to change their offensive play style. They feel like Simi can still make the vertical shots. I don't think he can, but I feel like he can keep the defense honest enough and he can make enough throws to the boundaries. But you're right. They don't have a receiver. They don't have a quarterback. I think it behooves Peyton to be much more creative running the football offensively. It's been too predictable. It's been too anemic. Now, adding Mark Ingram has helped a lot. Now it takes pressure off of Kamara from having to run those in-between-the-tackle power runs. You can give that to Mark. And a guy I think they need to invest fully in, and he's kind of on waivers, they need to get Odell Beckham. Now, we knew Odell Beckham Jr. was a possibility for the franchise at the deadline. They weren't able to get it done, and now he's got to go through waivers. So there's no guarantee he'll fall to you as a guy you can get because other teams are clamoring for him as well. They need OBJ bad. And as much as people say, You know, OBJ going to the Saints is going to be like going to the Browns. It'll be much different because what I can agree with Sean is he will find a way to give his ex receiver catching opportunities. So OBJ is going to get plenty of touches in this offense and he'll open it up extremely more for this passing game because now teams have a bona fide one that they have to respect on the Saints and not allow Harris and Callaway and those tight ends to be much more productive in the passing game because it could be favorable easier matchups against teams second third fourth corner safeties and whatnot so all that to say you know i think the Saints can still make the playoffs i don't expect them to win but this feels a little different because this isn't anything new for them offensively they haven't really been a productive offense and they've leaned on their defense to come out and get things done divisional matchups are divisional matchups so i could see them against carolina atlanta and tampa again being a little bit more productive offensively than the average norm because you know these guys because you see them there all year so you know teams tendencies and whatnot and what they like to do so you can get one on an Atlanta or a Tampa in terms of getting 20 points but teams like Buffalo um, Dallas not so much but you know they're that sleeper team that x factor I think if I'm the Saints try out the Simeon thing for a couple games if it doesn't work I think you have to bite the bullet and welcome in a Phillip Rivers or Cam Newton because there aren't what no they're not what they used to be but they're much better than what you have and that allows your aerial attack to be much more respectable against opposing defenses all right and with that gonna move on last but not least the nba um there's a lot of things that have been happening in the nba um, in terms of teams that are on the horizon, Chicago's playing well. Philadelphia's playing well. Got teams like the Lakers. They're struggling. Got beat by the Thunder twice. Uh, so I'm going to start based on, let's just go to the West. And we're going to go to the Pacific Division. I think the Pacific Division is probably the most competitive division in the West. Um, right now, the Warriors are at the top. They've lost one game. And honestly, Golden State should be undefeated because if they didn't turn the ball over a lot against Memphis, they beat the Grizzlies. They've played phenomenal without Wiseman and Clay. And Wiseman and Clay are coming down the pipeline. I think Wiseman is finally able to play full practice, full, full practice, full contact practice. That's the terminology. So he's coming down the pipeline, I think, by the end of November. We know Clay's probably coming around 
in December. Golden State, Will, do you feel like the way that they've played, now are you comfortable probably saying this is a team that can for sure win the West? Or yeah. do you feel like you got to wait on other things? No, nah, I, I definitely think I'm more comfortable because um, you see what they're doing right now. I mean, you see guys like Jordan Poole, um, Otto Porter, uh, you know, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Kaminga is not back either yet. But um, uh, all these guys, they're fitting in really seamlessly. Um, Steph, you know, Steph just the, the amount of like gravity he brings and draws is crazy because it just opens up the floor so much for everybody else. Um, and I just think that's only going to be uh, bigger when, when Clay gets back. Um, Clay's another guy you have to pay attention to. Um, he's another guy that can be, you know, I'm really interested to see how he plays defensively coming off of both of these Achilles injuries. Um, uh, because, you know, I wonder if it's going to limit his mobility a little bit. I definitely think they're going to just ease him in, but just regardless, he's still an amazing shooter. I don't think that's going to be affected. And as long as he's a great shooter still, I mean, Golden State's chances just skyrocket because Steph's arguably the best player in the world right now. He's clearly the MVP as, at, at this point. Um, and you just have so many other guys who are stepping up, making plays. Damian Lee looks good this year. Another guy, like, their bench has played well. Um, they're able to guard and defend. Draymond Green has just been the leader that he's always been. Um, and the system that has was carrying, it, carrying them through those championship years is still in place. And I still see it being a tough thing to stop. Um, you've seen them beat several good teams already, um, and they just, they're having fun. I really like this Golden State team still. And I once they get healthy, watch out because this is gonna be a team. They're gonna be a tough out for anybody. Yeah, man. You know, Curry is a beauty in terms of what he is as a superstar. He's a guy that's so dominant. He's just as dominant without the basketball when he also has the basketball, actually. The action he draws, it opens it up for everybody. And I got to give Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, Draymond to an extent. Give him credit because they stayed packed to their identity even when last year was last year. And then prior to last year, uh, they sucked as well. You know, they, they weren't a good team the past two years, even though they made the plan. But they kept saying, yo, when Clay and, and Wiseman come back, it's going to change. And But what we're going to do is incorporate elements of that strength and numbers culture we had in 2015, we're going to bring that back again with glue guys that are young that provide scoring punch to Jordan Poole, versatility offensively and defensively, Andrew Wiggins, uh, a kind of a David Lee type shooter, playmaker at the four spot and Bialita. Um, and then Gary Payton, you know, junior, the third rather, um, was able to come out and showcase his defensive prowess against the Hornets. So that's just another guy that's going to be able to come off the bench for them in the West and depth matters in the NBA, especially in the postseason, because your star can only do so much. And while we've seen games where Curry scores almost 30 in the first quarter against the Clippers, we've seen games where opening night against the Lakers, Curry doesn't shoot well and they beat LA almost by double digits and performances where, you know, last night against the Hornets, it wasn't more so about what Curry was able to do was what about Draymond and Peyton the third and Jordan Poole was out of his mind, giving them 30. The big thing for Golden State has been Poole's development. And I like Poole a lot coming out of Michigan, but his development uh, has been phenomenal. Uh, Otto Porter and Peyton III, those guys' ability to come in and defend at a high level. Draymond not looking as washed as he was the past two years. He's still giving them something. And then Andrew Williams, quiet as it's been, this has been great for his career. 
He's come into Golden State and he's been able to fit in. Yes, he has moments where he's not knocking down his three-point shot, but he's hitting it much more comfortably. He's defending at a much more higher level, and he's also an active participant off the bounce. They look like they're going to be the one seed. Uh, I really do. They play hard every night. Kerr is able to try a variety of lineups just to get guys wet in terms of get used to high-quality professional basketball, and it's translating in the wins. I think their biggest issue is they're going to need Wiseman a lot more against bigger teams, L.A., Denver, Minnesota to an extent if they get in Portland and whatnot. So they're going to need him to be there to get rebounds and be active on the defensive side. And then they just got to cut down on the turnovers. This has been a high-octane offense, but their weakness has always been they get careless with the basketball. That's how they lost to Memphis. That's how they almost lost to the Clippers. You know, they, they, they just get careless with it. And I understand why, because it's like, you know, we want to try everything. We move without the basketball so much that at times we'll try every backdoor pass opportunity, even when it's not there. But, you know, they're a phenomenal team. And I think that's something that can't deny. Uh, like another, yeah. another thing that's very impressive with them is like when Curry comes off the floor, a lot of times you see this team, you know, keep uh, themselves in games or build leads. And I think that's another thing that's going to be huge freedom come playoff times is that production they get while Curry's out. Um, if Curry, you know, gets in foul trouble, whatever the case may be, um, you're seeing guys be able to step up in that, in those periods um, and, and keep Golden State in games or win games for Golden State because of that. Yeah. And that's what's their downfall last season, especially in the plan. It was like when Curry was on the floor, we're good. And then when he was off, it was a downfall, negative, all of that neg plus minus right. it, it was real. Now, right. Jordan Poole's development allows you to have him be the primary decision maker or he be the scoring option. And yes, Poole is hella streaky, but he's been much more on than off in years past. And now adding him with a Draymond and a Damian Lee, more shooters and the guys that are going to put in the work defensively, opens it up for that team to be able to achieve success even when stuff isn't on the floor. The LA Lakers have had it tough. And coming into the season, I even before the season, I was trying to tell people, look, man, they're not going to be a good defensive team. I think LeBron is injury prone, so I don't think these injury knickknacks that we've seen the past two years are abnormalities. I think they're going to be regular regularities. And I also said Russell Westbrook was going to have it tough adjusting with his basketball team. All of those things have been real. LeBron's going to be out for a week with abdominal strain. I think that's something we all need to keep an eye on. But, Will, what's the bigger thing that stands out to you about the squad? Is it Russell's continuation of trying to get incorporated with this cultural basketball under Frank Vogel, where they want to be much more of a half-court team. And I don't think that's his style. I think Westbrook's been prone to be much more of an up-tempo PG, especially in the half, especially in the fast break. Or is it the fact that defensively they can't stop anybody? And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're a very old team full of guys that aren't willing to give that energy and effort on the defensive end like they are offensively. Yeah, it's definitely the defense for me. Um, I feel like that's what's really losing them games. Um, I mean, part of it is you just have teams hitting a lot of ridiculous shots um, a lot of times. But, I mean, a lot of times this team is getting so mixed up. The, the miscommunication that you see, um, you have two guys sworn to one guy and then someone just cuts under the basket and gets easy layup. Um, they're not rebounding great either. And on, you know, they give up a lot of offensive rebounds, but this is a team like, you know, like you said, they're, they're old, but 
that we've seen them turn it up when they need to and be able to get stops in a few games. Um, I really just feel like it's the lack of effort uh, more than anything. Um, I don't – Frank Vogel, uh, you know, he's usually so, – he's known to be a good defensive coach, but I feel like a lot of times his lineups aren't great. Um, I think he's kind of held them with some of those um, lineups that he's running. You know, that their, their best lineup by far has been when they run 80 at the five um, and they play small. Um, and I think that's what you just have to do most of the time to be able to, because if you're not going to be a great defensive team, well, you at least want to put yourself in the best position offensively. And I don't feel like they're doing that um, a lot of times. Um, or they'll do it late in games, but they put themselves in this position late in the game where it's closer than it has to be because throughout the game, you know, you're not running the best lineups or the most uh, cohesive lineups, the ones that fit the best together. Um I think the Lakers, though, that the defense is going to be the issue um, going forward because I think Russ, despite um, you know him having some rough patches so far, I feel like he's done a solid job. I mean, you know, he's gotten better since the beginning of the season. Early in the season, it definitely didn't look good. Um, and granted, he's he's played some games without LeBron, which has helped. Um, but in the, the the recent games he's played with LeBron on the floor, I feel like he's started to really um fit better and like know his role um he's playing off of LeBron a little better and they're, they're allowing Russ to play more his own game at the same time and then let LeBron do his work more in the fourth quarter which I think is smart because you want Russ to be in a rhythm um and you want Russ to be able to play his game um because if you're not willing to play his game then what is he on the team for so I feel like they're doing a good job of making those guys work together. I just really think the defense has been the biggest issue. Like, you know, um, and again, the lineups, you know, I, I, the game last night, I mean, they were up. And then you take Russ, AD, and Melo out the game, all of a sudden find yourself down when they get back in the game. And obviously, you know, they have plenty of time to still win the game, but they didn't have to be in that hole to begin with. They, that game should have been close when they came back in, but it was because, you know, it was a dumb lineup ran by Frank Vogel. Um, you can't run these lineups with non-shooters on the floor. Um, if you're going to have Russ on the floor, you can't have a Rajon Rondo or DeAndre Jordan on the floor with him. That's not going to work. So I think the the coaching needs to be better. Um, and the defensive communication needs to be better because I don't feel like I, I know they're all, but I feel like they can still be a solid defensive team if these guys just work on that type of stuff, the IQ of it all. Yeah, I think communication would for sure make them a better defensive team, especially in the context of being able to neutralize the pick and roll. They've struggled covering the pick and roll all season. I think the San Antonio Spurs showcased their struggles immensely when they matched up in you know san antonio texas yaka almost had a 30 piece just literally pick and roll with him and Dejounte murray so that's something that they're gonna have to kind of get amongst each other settled and you know look we know how phenomenal anthony davis is as a defender but he's one man and if you just expect him to cover for everybody's lapses you're setting yourself up for a recipe of disaster i think that's kind of how He's got a little dinged up a couple of times because he's overhelping for a guy that's wide open because no one's holding down their assignment on the perimeter. But I don't think they have the defensive personnel outside of AD right now to be a very good defensive team because we've seen what Vogel was able to do 
last year, obviously last season, they weren't that great of an offensive squad, but much younger personnel with Horton Tucker, Schroeder, and uh, his name kind of blows my mind. I know it's Horton Tucker and Schroeder, Caruso. And they are much more better on the perimeter defensively top on all the extremely important categories. Now you replace those guys with Mello and, you know, um, Austin, um, the guy, the white guy, I forgot his last name. He's in there. He's a good shooter, but he's not that defensive kind of lockdown player. And then Westbrook, as great as he is, he just doesn't have it defensively anymore. And that's what those lapses are. So I think part of it's miscommunication. And I think the other half is they just don't have the personnel. And I think they'll be a lot better when Kendrick Nunn and Horton Tucker return from their injuries, along with Trevor Ariza, who, even though I think Ariza is a little washed as well, he will make them a little bit better of a defensive team because of his energy and activity on the perimeter. So I think when those guys come back, they'll be a little better. But now we got to talk about this, man. I think this is important. LeBron's injury history, it's the third time in three years he's been out the line with an injury, and now guys are talking about Father Thomas catching up to him. Is his health honestly something you're concerned about moving forward? I'm concerned with the with him and AD um, because even though AD has played every single game, AD just has this one part of the game where he just is grieving and like you know he's on the floor and rolling around or whatever um, or going back to the locker room. So with both of them, that's going to be very key, and that's why I think bringing in Russell Westbrook overall was a good move. I know right now it, it's been kind of sketchy just because they have not taken care of business in games where they should without LeBron. But I really do think that going forward, that's going to improve. I don't think they're going to keep um, having these, making these same mistakes. Like they've, they've gotten leads. They've looked really good. It's just, they're not finishing off. Um, and bringing in a guy, Russell Westbrook was supposed to be, a way to keep you afloat while LeBron misses games. If, if he gets injured, if he gets hurt, I mean, or, or if he just decides he needs a game off, you know? Um, but right now, you know, if, if this team's going to keep blowing leads to teams they shouldn't, then, I mean, there's a little reason to be concerned. Um, and again, with Anthony Davis, you don't want him to get hurt um, because the second he gets hurt, I really think the season's over because he's that big guy. He's the youngest one. He's the one most in their prime um, for this team. He's going to be that anchor, that guy they go to late in playoff games. And um, if he's not going to be healthy or if he's going to continuously get hurt, that's going to be a problem as well. Um, this whole team right now is just not – it feels like everyone's hurt. Um, and I really think once this team gets healthy, we're going to see this team really hit their ceiling. Um, because, like you said, they're, they're missing guys like Horton Tucker and, and Nunn and – while those guys aren't going to be the key factors in this team winning a championship, they're they're parts of it because they're young, like you said. And this is a very old basketball team, and they need those young legs, those guys who can come in and play hard every night and 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 bring it on the defensive end. And Kendrick Nunn can do that. Horton Tucker can do that. Um, and so it's going to be important for them to get those guys healthy. But with LeBron. I really think it's going to be key to, to how they keep playing without him because you don't want to rush him back. Just like last season when they rushed him back and you saw how that affected him come playoff time, he didn't look like the same player. Um, and LeBron's looked amazing when healthy this year, but, um, you know, that's just a big question. Can he stay healthy or is his body breaking down slowly? You know, we know he takes care of his body, but, you know, father time hits everybody. For sure. It does hit everybody indeed. 
I think with LeBron, look, we all expected Anthony Davis, <clears throat> excuse me, was going to be the guy we're going to have to worry about health-wise. Um, he's always hurt. He's always in and out the lineup. And you're right. Every game, he has a moment where he's dying. It looks like he's dying on the floor. He had that scary <laughs> knee situation against the Spurs where I thought he tore his ACL, but he was able to survive. I think LeBron at this point, he, as much as he condemned load managing, even though he was the proprietor of it early on in his career, I think they're just going to have to manage him throughout the season. And I think break points like this are going to be the norm moving forward because you're right. When he's been on the floor, he's been efficient. He's been productive. He's been all-star, all-NBA caliber. But I don't think the days of LeBron being able to be productive on the floor 70, 75 games a year, those are gone. I think 60 games is something you're going to have to uh, pay homage to. But if the team is going to continue to blow leads, then he's going to have to come back on the floor to help withstand it all because the Western Conference is tough. Um, Golden State's doing what they're doing, but Phoenix is starting to get around and be more productive. They've won three straight. Uh, Sacramento, who's been a known easy dub in the past for a lot of teams, they're four and four on the year. They're much more of a tougher unit. And you're playing younger squads that are going to test you on both ends. And I feel like that's the main reason why they've lost these games because they go out like gangbusters early, offensive firepower, engagedness defensively. But they're old so over time as the game wins the ferocity on that end is gone the efficiency shooting is gone and now they just hope that the other team that's usually younger Houston and Oklahoma City they just run out of steam and Houston did Oklahoma City didn't and that's kind of how you lost these games and the worst part about it is this is the easier part of your schedule you're playing a lot of lottery teams right and you're barely getting by what happens when you go on that West Coast trip where you play Phoenix, Golden State, Sacramento, Denver? Like, and, and, and now the competition is amplified and you're losing these games. So, you know, yeah. look, I, I think we both expect the Lakers to figure it out. But I think my biggest fears with this team are coming true, which is why I didn't think it was a lock for them to come out the West. And, and which is why I know everybody was getting hyped about, oh, man, this team is, is great. It's just, look, man, they're old. They don't really fit. And they're going to have to depend on, I think, younger guys to set the tone for them on the defensive side of the floor. And they really haven't been able to do that, to say the least. A um, couple other teams want to touch base on wrap it up. Phoenix is another team. They got off to a slow start, but they've won three straight. And they're four and three right now. You know they got their situation with their owner, Sarver. Um, you know, when that, however that's going to get figured out, will be figured out. But on the floor, uh, Chris Paul has been Chris Paul. Devin Booker's been a little bit more efficient. DeAndre Ayton has been kind of hit or miss. He hasn't played in a couple of games, but the Suns look like the Suns. And at this point, well, now we're gauging the Suns, probably not against the Lakers more so say much, because I think what I think people might start to realize is Suns are not a good matchup for the Lakers. They're younger. They're um, much more cohesive, much more structured. But now we can kind of compare them to a Golden State, who I think would be a much better matchup for Phoenix. Um, in terms of evenness, um, Denver's and whatnot, do they have the squad to go deep in the West again? Or was last year just a flash in the pan? Um, I definitely think they do. Um, you know, they're young, like you said. Uh, we've seen that Devin Booker can take you home. Chris Paul can take you home. 
Uh, those are guys who just late in games you can really trust. And I think that's the biggest thing with this team uh, that makes me confident in them. Uh, defensively, they have a lot of guys guard um, several positions. Or they're long, um, active, good coaching. Uh, they have a solid bench. And again, continuity, that's important. And, you know, they built that last year with the run they made. Um, I really just think it's going to be up to how DeAndre, if DeAndre Aiden, Miles Bridges, Cam Johnson, those guys, can they just give you a little bit more offensively? Can they take an even bigger step up? You know, I think Mike Cal Bridges definitely has the potential to do more off the dribble and create for himself a little more. I would be really, really interested to see if he can do that uh, coming into the seat, uh, coming into this year's playoffs. Um, but I think as long as you have guys like Chris Paul, Devin Booker, who are going to be steady um, in the biggest moments of the game, you're going to be fine. Um, and I, I, th- I trust this team to be able to get it uh, done again. And now, right now, based off what I've seen, I would pick Golden State to come out the West, assuming they're healthy. But uh, coming into the year, my pick was the Lakers. Uh, I thought Phoenix would be a nice threat. Denver, uh, if Denver gets healthy, watch out for them. Um, I know right now they're kind of struggling, but I think Denver is only going to get better as the season progresses. But Phoenix is definitely a legitimate threat again. This was no one-year wonder. They're they're legit good. Yeah, I agree. I think Phoenix, the best thing they were able to do is get depth at that five spot. I thought when Aiden didn't play well or wasn't on the floor, they had no type of consistent production at the five. I know Kaminsky's still on the squad. He's cool as like a stretch four or a third string five. And so now you get JaVale McGee. And his presence has been phenomenal for this team. Energy, activity, productivity, him and Chris Paul, the report has been phenomenal. That will go a long way in the postseason. Campaign got hurt early in the year, so he hasn't been on the floor consistently. They've been rocking with this Alfred Payton-type second-unit lineup, which we all know long-term isn't sustainable. But when Payne was on the floor, he was productive, and I think he's going to be solid for them. Phoenix is legit. They're, they're, They're a legit team, and I have much more faith in them than I do in a Denver because I think Denver right now are in a tough spot. It feels like everything continues to go through Jokic and that's fine because he's the best player, but Mike Malone's, I think coaching ceiling with that team is maxed out because he operates the team. Like they're just Jokic, like Will Borden isn't productive. Like Michael Porter Jr. Can't score in a variety of ways. Like Aaron Gordon can't be a Swiss army knife. That that's been an issue for them. And yes, Porter Jr. has been inefficient shooting. Um, yes, Will Barton can be streaky, but you know, Jokic doesn't have to be the scorer and the point guard all the time. Like he can play a little bit off the ball as well because you got guys like Monta Morris and Will Barton and Porter that can get buckets and create for others when given the chance. So I think Malone has to kind of take the straps off this team and expand what they can be. Because if the plan is just ride Jokic until Murray comes back, then that just tells me you're going to have the same kind of play style you had years prior, which was um, Murray-Jokic two-man game for 80% of our offense. And I think that's how Murray got hurt because he, he had to carry this load that he doesn't have to. And so I thought Denver did all of this drafting, all of this re-signing to get depth on their team to be much more than Yoke and Murray. And it just feels like that's still what they are. And I just say that's a little jab at the coaching. Um, two more teams I want to touch base on, and then we'll wrap it up. Charlotte has been intriguing. They came out like gangbusters early in the year. They've kind of weathered off 
against better competition. They're playing Sacramento now as they start, continue their world trip, I might add. I said on my separate podcast episode when I did the Eastern Conference preview, for Charlotte to be a legit playoff team, Melo had to be an all-star. Miles Bridges had to be most improved. And P.J. Washington would have to be like six man of the year. And Gordon Hayward would have to stay healthy. P.J. can't be six man of the year because he's been in and out with injury and he's going to be out for a while. But Miles Bridges has been unreal. And I think the biggest step that he had to take in his game was be some type of an off the dribble offensive factor. He's hitting threes. He's taking guys off the dribble because prior he was just a lob threat who had great energy around the glass. But now he's giving you scoring acumen as well. Melo's taking that next step. And Gordon Hayward has been on the floor. The issue has been now Rozier being in and out. They're five and four. Center play has been a little bit better with Mason Plumlee. Not there yet. Do you feel like this team can be much more than just a fun lead pass squad to watch on a Friday, Saturday night? Or are they probably still a couple years away from being legitimate playoff participants? I would say still slight, just a couple years away. Um, I do think they can make the playoffs. Like, I do think they'll be a playing team. But I just think the lack of inexperience with a lot of these guys is going to play a role. Um, but like you said, they're going to be a tough team for anybody to play right now just because they have so many young legs. They have so many guys who are just going out there playing every game like it's their last because they're trying to prove a point. They're trying to show everybody around the league that they're like that, you know, all, all of the above. Um, I'm really impressed, though, like, with the poise I've seen out of LaMelo Ball this year. Like, you know, he's improved so much in just a short amount of time. He's taking that leap that you see a lot of young guards making, like a John Morant, you know, I mean, he's he's taking that leap. Um, his efficiency's been good. Uh, the playmaking's getting even better. Uh, he just sees everything, um, and he doesn't force anything. You know, everything looks, you know, like it just flows well with him. Uh, like you said with Miles Bridges, he's developed more of an off-the-dribble game. Uh, you know, he, he just offensively, he looks like he's in such good rhythm every night, um, and his confidence is there. And I think that's going to be huge because – you know, you need those guys, those go-to guys late in games. And and Miles Bridges has been that. Him and LaMelo, Rogier's, we know he's a guy that's not going to be afraid late in games. Gordon Hayward's been a solid office of peace for them. Uh, Kelly Oubre has been solid. Um, I think this team is definitely going to be a playing team, but I, I, I see that being their ceiling just because of the lack of inexperience. Uh, I think you'll see some other teams come out uh, and really kind of humble them in those situations, kind of like last year. Um, and I, I just think they're probably maybe just a year away. I think it'll take another year, but this team's definitely heading in the right direction. It's how it's there. Um, you know, they have those guys that they can build around going forward. Um, and this is going to be a fun team to watch for years to come. For sure, a fun team. And this now kind of feels like the Charlotte teams of the 90s. Not saying they're just like them, but – they're much more than just one player, which was the Kimber Walker era when Walker was there with the Hornets. They have guys that they can lean on each night to help them come out on top. Melo's decision-making and poise, Miles's athleticism, and now recently scoring acumen. Gordon Hayward can have a night where he's on fire and Rozier can, and Oubre has had some. I think the issue with this team, like you said, inexperience, and then defensively, just got to be a little bit more consistent on that end. They go all out offensively, sharing the basketball, making the highlight plays, making the right play. But defensively, when they need stops, they're kind of hit or miss there. And that's expected for a young team. 
And right. with James Perego being their head head guy, he went out of his way early on in his coaching tenure to just be like, look, I'm from the pop tree. I got my guys, my guys that come in every night and put in work. You're going to get PT, which is why I feel like they're a couple years away, because that'll be when the Kai Joneses and the James Book Knights can develop and be a part of that rotation. I don't think they will be this season, and I don't think they will be next year, because I think the Hornets, these next two years are going to be about showcasing that they have a legit culture to build upon to beat out in the East. And I feel like Atlanta put a lot of teams in the East on notice that you can rewrite your fortune in a couple of years if you build it right, develop a legit culture, and really just have fun playing basketball. And, you know, it's new generations coming up where it's more so about making the right play, making the right decisions, and everybody being involved and invested. And they're doing that in Charlotte, and that's greatly appreciated. And then last but not least in this team, the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, they got they're, they got destroyed tonight by the Washington Wizards, and I feel like a common thing with this team, we're going to touch base on it, is defensively they're not what they used to be. Historically, as an organization, I think that's why they lose games. But as great as John Moran has been, I feel like, and I'm going to ask you in terms of if you agree, this might be the best starting five that they've had since those Mike Conley Gasol days. And do you agree and why? Because as much as Jai has been a phenomenal walking um, compilation of highlights, Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, Stephen Adams, and Jaron Jackson have been perfect fits for what they do as a five unit. I think what you said is perfect. They're perfect fits. Um, you have a good mix being able to catch and shoot, a guy who's dynamic off the dribble who can get into the lane, and uh, a guy like Stephen who's a role man um, who who can you know by you without that. Um, and then just guys who can defend. Jaron Jackson's a very good defensive player. Um, Desmond Bain long wingspans and all that very active um and i've been impressed with what i've seen uh and even on the bench they have some solid uh, players coming off the bench for them um they they I, I do think at times they've had to be or they've been too john morant dependent um but i like what but when you have a guy with john morant i mean it's hard not to be at times when you know he's just getting downhill every time whenever he wants honestly just keep feeding him and let him do what he does. but uh, for them to take that next step, they're going to have to uh, have these other guys. Dylan Brooks has to get healthy, first of all. Um, that's going to be important for them. But um, they're going to have to have the – I don't think they could be too John Morant dependent, um, if that makes any sense. And uh, I, I like what I've seen out of John Morant, the improvement he's made. He's all, He looks like an all-NBA player right now. Um, you know, and I, I think – I did not expect to, to see him make this type of jump right now. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr., I would like to see him be more of a offensive guy because I feel like the potential is there with him offensively to be more of a, at least, you know, a 18 to 20 point per game score. I, I think there's potential there. I would like to see that be unlocked um, more so because I think that type of stuff is was really going to take them to that next level. Um, they're also going to have to work on their defense. Uh, they're, they're, they have not been a strong defensive team, um, but they have guys there that can be potentially good defenders. And I think Memphis is going to be a team just like New Orleans. I mean, just like Charlotte, a fun team to watch, a young team with a lot of young legs and a team that's going to be tough to play any given night. Um, And the thing with Memphis that Charlotte doesn't have, though, 
is they've been battle tested in, you know, playing games, late season matchups and just games that will determine their season. Um, and they've done that the last two years and they've been able to win some of those games. And, you know, I think that's a huge deal for this team going forward. And I think that's the type of thing that'll give them the confidence if they get to that situation again this year. Yeah, with Memphis, I thought they set the tone in the preseason. The two games I saw in the preseason, they played their five. They played hard. They played with a purpose, kind of to be like, this is going to be our uh, prelude to the real season coming up. And they set a huge tone there. I think the next step for them, two things, you're right. They do become jot dependent too much. And no, they don't have the roster like Denver to where I can come out and be like, why are you doing this? But they do have guys in Melton um Jackson and Adams can pass a little bit as well where other guys can play make two allowing your star player to play off the ball but I do think to take that next step they're going to need in my opinion a better backup point guard that'll allow Morant probably to be off the floor or maybe play him with Morant on the floor that can also play make they were trying to go after that because in the draft they were really interested in Josh Giddy. Now, Josh Giddy was never able to yeah. fall to them in the top 10. So if they had a guy like a Giddy on the roster, I think it allowed Morant to play off ball more and create even more high octane scoring options for them. But it's getting that other playmaker because while Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones have shown abilities in their careers to play make for others, I think their ceilings have been reached and you can unlock it with another player down the line. And then the second thing is, got to be better defensively. Um, They've gotten blown out by these Washingtons and Miamis because those teams move the ball, make you have to defend on the perimeter, make you have to defend cutting actions, and they don't do that particularly well, and they get annihilated. And so that's kind of my my big thing for them moving forward. Got to defend well throughout the year. Hopefully they're able to do that. And then with Jackson, I agree. He has the potential, but I feel like for the past three years, his purpose on the floor has been to master the three ball, but you're also 6'11". So going to need you to be closer to the basket. I'm going to need you to be involved in some pick and pop options. I think the Grizzlies just need Jackson to be kind of what Aiden is to Phoenix. And Aiden's also inconsistent, but he's a little bit nah, – he's a lot more consistent than Jaron. And if he can be a little bit more consistent on the glass, scoring in general, not just living and dying beyond the three-point line, that team will take the next step. And so, you know, Memphis, they're building something. They're in a division where I think they're the best team in the division where you got Houston, New Orleans, and Dallas. And I know Dallas has Luka and whatnot and San Antonio as well. No, Dallas has Luka, but it feels like Dallas is the same team. I feel like Dallas is Portland. Like, they brought back the same squad. Now, while Luka has played much better than Dame, I don't feel like the collective around him has evolved with his play style and I always felt like Jason Kidd was not the answer at head coach. He wasn't a good head coach with Milwaukee. I didn't think he'd be a good head coach to Dallas. Yes, kids claim the fame is I help unlock Giannis, but Giannis didn't start taking that next step until Budenholzer came along. And I'm not saying Budenholzer is a great coach, but he's much better than Jason Kidd. So, you know, Memphis is building something out there. I think their progress is there. They're back in contending basketball. But, yeah, they're going to need, I think, another playmaker uh, that presents more of a threat on the floor that'll allow those job minutes to be much more productive with him either on the bench or off the ball. And they just got to play better defense overall. Um, with, yeah. So with that, I'm going to wrap up episode 33, long when we talked about basketball and football. 
But before I go, brief little question there for you, Will. A little round section on a variety of topics that kind of center on what we talked about overall on this pod. So NFL-wise, we talked about the AFC, the AFC West. Who do you have winning the AFC West when the regular season concludes? I would say the Chargers. Um, I came into the year high on the Chargers. I just really love what I've seen out of Justin Herbert. Um, I think as long as they can stay healthy, I do think they're going to turn it around. Um, I'm buying them. So I got to stick with my preseason pick. I'm going to go with the Chargers. Yeah, I was high on the Chargers as well, but I had Kansas City winning the division. Um, the way things have kind of formulated right now, the Raiders are at a high. And I think a lot of that is because Oakland, well, not Oakland, Vegas has been able to stay healthier than the Chargers, and they played smarter football than the Chiefs. I'm going to go Chargers too. Um, I think Chargers right now have some injury things that they got to clean up on. Um, obviously, uh, their secondary has kind of been beat up. Defensively, they've been beat up. Herbert hasn't played particularly well, but what they have going for them is they beat Kansas City and Vegas, and they got to play those guys again. Also, have to play Denver, so these divisional matches will be important in those head-to-heads and deciding who wins it overall. But I think the Chargers, once the health gets down for them defensively on their favor and they play smarter football offensively, they'll win that division. So I got the Chargers as well. Um, Teams right now, who do you have more belief in in terms of making the playoffs, the Steelers or the Saints? I say to the Steelers, just because they're healthier, um, and I feel like they're starting to play their best football. Ben Roethlisberger is starting to look somewhat like an NFL quarterback again. Um, so I would say the Steelers. And the division, um, I mean, it's tough. It's very tough. The Saints do definitely play in a better, softer division. Um, but I just think what I've seen out of the Steelers, they beat the Browns. Uh, just this past week, handled them. I think they'll be able to play well against the Bengals uh, in their matchup. Um, you know, the Bengals, they, they're they're an up-and-down team. You know, some weeks they look like they could be a legit contender. And then, you know, weeks like last week, they're losing to the New York Jets. So, I don't know. But um, I would say the Steelers just because of them starting to peak at the right time. Yeah, um, that division, the AFC North, is no joke. You basically define Cincinnati in a nutshell. They lost to the Jets. And they also lost to the Bears, too, early in the year, if I might add. And that was mainly because... Joe Burrow went on a turnover spree that allowed Chicago to kind of pull away with it in the second half. I'm going to go with the Saints, and I think the reason why is, yes, Pittsburgh has been clicking recently, but they've beaten Seattle, Denver, and I don't, I don't know the last team, that, and a Cleveland team that is, that is reeling, mainly because Baker Mayfield shouldn't be playing football at all because he he doesn't have an arm like his arm is destroyed. So I don't even know why he's playing, but that's who they've beaten. And they've yet to play Baltimore yet. They're going to have to go through them. They got to play Cincy one more time. And I just don't think they match up very well with Cincinnati. So I think as the comp heightens, I don't expect Pittsburgh to live up to it, mainly because Big Ben just isn't that guy. And Trevor Simeon isn't any better, but New Orleans has been battle tested. And so far this year, they've beaten Green Bay and Tampa. And so what we've seen is their defense travels well enough to keep the team overall in condition. It gets better comp, which I think allows me to say they have a better chance, in my opinion, to make the postseason over a Steeler team that's gotten hot recently, but against weaker competition. Um, MVPs. Um, Right now, 
you can pick Tom Brady, Matt Stafford, Murray. When it's all said and done, Derrick Henry, before he got hurt, might add, who do you feel like will come away with the most valuable player award in the NFL? And an award race that's been, in my opinion, wide open all year because you have two one-loss teams in the same division, Arizona and the Rams, and then you have Tampa with two. And Green Bay, even even though I don't think Rodgers has played at an MVP level, I think this season. So, I would say my pick coming into year was Josh Allen, um, and I'm I'm really one of guys that just likes to stick with their picks. So I'm gonna say Josh Allen of the Bills. I think the Bills, uh, you know, they they've been great against lower tier competition when they've had to dominate. Uh, Josh Allen had a solid year. Um, I do think they're going to start to turn it up, though. I do think the Bills, you're going to see them kind of get back to that level they were playing out uh, before the Tennessee game. Um, and so I'm going to stick with Josh Allen to kind of get himself going and and take it home. Way to stick with your convictions, convictions rather. Um, way to stick with them. Josh, man, he's been everybody's hot guy coming into the year, but I thought that Pittsburgh Steelers game did him a huge disservice. And really throughout this season, he's kind of not been – what he was in Pittsburgh, but he's been in the middle. And it feels like on that team overall, when he doesn't play well, and well doesn't mean he's got it over 400, but when he doesn't play well in terms of accuracy-wise, the ball's being getting to his receivers, he's not turning the football over, he's not making mistakes, that Buffalo team loses. Now, yeah, defensively, they've been stout. They have the number one scoring D, number one scoring offense. But if you look at their two L's. Allen played horrible against Pittsburgh. And against Tennessee, he played fine, but he made some miscues. And then defensively, they got ran on by Henry. So against elite competition, when they haven't been perfect, they lose. And I think that's my issue with Buffalo moving forward. I don't think Josh Allen's play style will ever be perfect the second half of the season to allow him to win the MVP. And also, they're in a division where New England is coming. They're 4-4. Four and four. These two teams have yet to play. So they've got their own divisional things that they have to worry about, especially that team in Foxborough. Uh, MVP, I'm going to say I'm gonna say Stafford, man. Stafford's been phenomenal all year. I was very skeptical about Stafford coming into the season because I knew what Stafford represented in Detroit. I thought a lot of people gave him a pass for who he is throughout his career because a lot of people were like, well, Detroit the last four years sucked. But I remember when Detroit was decent early in his career, and he was the reason why they couldn't get over the top and beat those elite teams. And he still can be in the playoffs. But right now, this regular season, he's been phenomenal. I think the biggest issue with Stafford is uh, he has a tendency to be off accuracy-wise. He did not play well against Seattle. The problem is Seattle has no secondary. So he was missing a lot of guys, but they were so wide open that they were bailing him out with some wide open catches. And he's had tendencies where he just hasn't been on offensively, Seattle, uh, Indianapolis, and whatnot. But you know, offensively, they can run the ball very well. They protect them very well. He's got great rapport as receivers. Cooper Cup's been phenomenal in fantasy and in real life. And McVay's going to continue to ratchet up those shot plays and ratchet up passing opportunities for Stafford. And the way their team's orchestrated now, added Von Miller, I think the Rams may lose a couple more times maybe, but I think when they meet Arizona again, they'll beat them. Um, when they meet Tampa, I think they'll beat them too. And I think the Rams, man, the sky's the limit. Well, they've already beat Tampa, rather. My bad. But the sky's the limit for them. I don't see them really declining. Stafford's going to be the reason why. I think Stafford gets his first MVP. 
Um, and a couple more, and then we can truly wrap up this segment. It's been a good segment, by the way. Always great to have Will on. It's great to talk sports with you in its totality. Um, number one picks. Um, when it's all said and done, who do you feel like will be the team that have the number one overall pick in the draft? I think right now when you think of bad teams, you think of the Houston Texans and the Detroit Lions. Put the Jets up there, but I don't think the Jets are really that bad. I think the Jets have been inept because – Zach Wilson's been bad in terms of turning the football over, but out of the two between Houston and Detroit, who ends with that number one pick? The one that doesn't have a win still, <laughs> uh, the Detroit Lions. I mean, they're just bad everywhere. Um, they have nothing right now, and I, I, I just don't think they're going to win a football game, and so I just think I would say the Lions. Yeah, man, uh, everybody thought Detroit would be Philly. Um, I, I didn't really think so, but I think everybody had Detroit getting the first one against the Eagles because Jalen Hurts is not a good starting quarterback and their head coach is not a good head coach. And so instead of running the football, because Detroit doesn't have a good run defense, they like to air it out. Finally, Philadelphia played smart football. They played balanced. They operated like they didn't have a quarterback that could make the throws consistently. And he ran Detroit out the gym. And so now you really got to think, man, when is that? Where's that first one going to come from? I've had the the unique dishonor of watching a Detroit football game from start to finish because I had to recap it for Pro Football Focus. And the thing that resonates to me is Jerry Goff is not that guy. But to be fair, even though he's not that guy, they have no weapons on the outside. And I think that's the two things that stand out. Their offensive and defensive lines aren't bad. I think there's something to build upon, but they don't have any consistent secondary play. Before Jeff Okuda went out with an injury, he was bad. And I think his best days may be beyond Detroit. I think they're going to cut ties on him eventually. So they start these sixth, seventh round practice squad corners alongside a warrior, and they just get toasted every every game. And yeah, offensively, Cephas and St. Brown have flashes, but they're not consistent wide receivers that you can trust the one on the outside. I think alongside New Orleans, they have the worst receiving core in football. What helps New Orleans is they have a defense and at least a somewhat competent coach offensively he's been incompetent so yeah i think detroit you know houston's been bad but i think if tyrod taylor doesn't get hurt that's a five-win team you know i think yeah. tyrod i think allowed them to be much more respectable running the football he throws a more consistent better ball and has a better decision maker than davis mills and then defensively lovey smith's trying i just don't think lovey smith has the personnel but they got playmakers on defense uh desmond king and I think uh, I forgot his name. He starts with a G, but he's been making plays. So, yeah, I think Detroit's going to not have a win. And I think with Detroit, I think that I think in a couple of years, they're going to have to clean house. Uh, Dan Campbell's a nice guy. I don't think he's a head coach. And I think whatever they got operating up top front office, they're, yes, continue to build in the trenches, but they need to do it with a whole new uh, draft, you know, console that they have. Because I don't think Campbell's the answer and the guys operating up top are. I don't think in two years people will learn that. But they've had so many chances to win games. And they just haven't been able to do it because they're just not talented enough. I think that's what it comes down to. I think you could put guys in position to make plays, but they're just not a talented roster. And I think that's going to prohibit them. They're going to be the first team ever to have two zero win seasons. I think that's... That's that's really, really, really bad. Um, and I, well, yes, I do think this potential zero win team is better than the last one. I think as a complete unit, they just 
can't finish games because they just don't have the skill set. And then last but not least, uh, teams that I'm going to call these mediocre teams that everybody's high on, like, hey, hey, you know, they just had bad luck. But, you know, they haven't been able to translate it. That's the Vikings in the NFC. And I guess in the AFC, Cleveland. Um, which team needs to blow it up the most if they don't finish with at least a playoff berth, Cleveland or Minnesota? I would definitely say Minnesota uh, because Cleveland still has so much talent and so many guys that um, can where they can rebound next year. Um, I think this year has been mostly derailed by just injuries. Um, whereas Minnesota, I just, I really don't feel like Kirk Cousins is that guy. Um, I think he's that guy on a Sunday at 1 PM when you're playing, you know, a three and five football team, there's not much expectations. There's not much spotlight on you, but when you're in that prime time slot and you're expected to, to perform well, I just don't really trust Kirk Cousins in this, in this Vikings team to be able to get it done. Um, and you've had, you've seen the Vikings several years come close, um, but they've only gotten worse these past few years. Um, uh, I, w- I would say definitely Minnesota just because of the fact that Cleveland's dealt with a lot of injuries. They're playing a tougher division. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I would say Minnesota over Cleveland. Yeah, this is easy. Minnesota, you're right with Cleveland. Injuries have killed them. Although I do feel like uh, Baker's kind of regressed. And I feel like a lot of that has been play calling and a lot of that is because mm-hmm. when they've tried to open it up, he can't make the throws. This is before he got hurt as well. Um, so I think if they don't make the playoffs, it'll be more of an indictment on what to do with Baker moving forward than with that staff. Right. Minnesota, you have to blow it up. Yeah, well, Minnesota, you got to blow it up. Um, I, just, I, You know, I follow Minnesota pages that talk sports, Vikings, Timberwolves, mm-hmm. and basically everybody in the comments is like, fire Zimmer. It's been fire Zimmer for two years. So he, he's going he's gonna to be gone. He's not going to coexist with the Viking franchise moving forward. But they stay giving Kirk Cousins a pass, saying, well, Kirk's numbers and Kirk's not that bad. Kirk is not clutch. You know, he had one clutch moment against the Saints, but I can make a case the Saints beat themselves because Drew was washed and Michael Thomas had one leg and they had a couple things go the way of the Vikings. So they got away with a pass interference call. So, yeah, Kirk has a playoff win, but it's a little misleading. Overall, that team is too talented to not be a 500 team at least. And, yeah, defensively, they went out of their way and said, you know what, last year we had a ton of, like, rookie corners. This year we're going to get the vets, McKenzie Alexander, Patrick Peterson, Brashad Breeland. But what all those guys have in common is they're washed. So they're out (laughs) here making no plays, and now you're seeing Cooper Rush light up your defense and you lose. And, yeah, Dallas has the probably the best receiving core in football, but you you can't let – Amari Cooper catch the ball reeling when it, after it hits you in the chest and you could have had a chance to pick it off. So it's been a tough team. And I think what's hurt them is Dalvin Cook can't stay healthy. It's a great player, but he's in and out the lineup. And it's never a good sign when Justin Jefferson had a career year, his rookie season. And in his second year, it's like he can't play football. And I think a lot of it has to do with Cousins' inability to get him the ball consistently. So all we kept hearing, all I kept hearing, I might add, is Minnesota is not that bad because they could have beat the Cardinals and, you know, the kicker missed the field goal. They could have beat the Bengals, but, you know, Dalvin Cook, knee was down, but they said it was a fumble. Um, But after a while, I've been a fan of those teams before as a Saint fan where 
we're seven and nine, but if things would have went our way, we could have been 10 and six. But your your record because yeah. those things consistently don't go your way because you can't capitalize exactly. off what you can control. And exactly. cousins has to be able to consistently come out there and make the plays. And yeah, a lot of that has to coincide with the fact that guys can't be healthy and Dalvin Cook not being in the lineup hurts. But I think gotta get rid of Zimmer, gotta get rid of Kirk. The problem with Vikings is if you cut ties with Kirk and Zimmer, they at least provided you with a semblance of relevancy somewhat because you could always feel like you're in the playoffs or have a chance to get there. Now, Kellen Mond looks like he's going to be your foundational piece moving forward. And I was not a huge Kellen Mond fan. And you got to figure out what to do at the head coaching helm. So I think Minnesota, once they start their rebuild, they're in trouble because at least with Detroit and Chicago, they've started a semblance of one. Detroit's kind of been unsuccessful. I think with Chicago, we can all admit they just need a new head coach. Um, but they've at least started the progress of moving forward with a new regime in Chicago and Detroit football. Minnesota's still living in the past, and now they're going to have to start over. And so, yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. So um, that's it, guys. Episode 33. Uh, it's a long one. Went good. Great to have Will on. Um, before I go, I want to let Will talk about, you know, what he liked about the pod today and what he's looking forward to this weekend with college football still coexisting and in NFL football right after it. Uh, well, just first of all, thanks for having me on the show again. Always appreciate it, um, all that. Um, this weekend, I guess for college football, really the only thing I'm looking forward to, uh, you have um, Auburn and Texas A&M. That's going to be a big game in the SEC West to see, you know, who's going to challenge Alabama for that SEC championship spot. Uh, so I would definitely say that it's not a great weekend of games, so really not much to look at this week. I do think I will call one thing. I do think Purdue will upset Michigan State. Uh, I just feel that coming, um, and I'm usually good at feeling an upset coming. I think that happens. Purdue's always sneaky against you know top ranked teams. Michigan State comes in off a you know off a really good win last week against Michigan, uh, and they're number three in the college football playoff rankings. I could see them just having a down week. Uh, Kenneth Walker, they depend on him a lot, and I think if you take him away, they're very beatable. I think Purdue will go all out to stop him. I think they pull off the upset. Um, as far as the NFL, just how the Chiefs look against the Packers, um, can they – finally kind of show us something positive to make us feel like, okay, the Chiefs are back or they can they can actually turn this around. Tennessee and L amazing had Derrick Henry been healthy. Um, I mean, it still will be a good game, but with Derrick Henry not being there, it takes a little bit of, of it away just because this could have been a Super Bowl preview if Henry is healthy. So, um, but this, you know, this week's going to be fun. Uh, always fun to, to – be able to watch all these football games during the weekend for sure. My bad. For sure, indeed. I was commuted. I um, want to piggyback on a couple of things you said. Yeah, first of all, um, playoff committee, bro. Like, put respect on Cincinnati. Sixth yeah. and the playoff ranking. I don't I don't get it. All right. And I heard the reasoning, which is all of a sudden, now people want to act like Notre Dame is overrated. They're always overrated, but They've lost one game, they're Notre Dame, and they went to South Bend and beat them. Like, I don't, I don't really know what you want. Exactly. And yeah, and, and yeah, I, I can understand uh, Alabama 
because now their loss against Texas A&M looks better because A&M is projecting yeah. upward. But Oregon lost to Stanford. Like, I mean, you know, Stanford. So uh, I, that's I, my thing. I, I, I like valuing the head-to-head. I do. Um, even though I would have Ohio State ahead of Oregon in my rankings, I just I, – I, I can understand that. So I don't really have a problem with that at all. If Cincinnati being at six, Cincinnati should at least be at four, um, at least. Like, and can we like not act like the Pac-12 is significantly better than what Cincinnati's playing? Like, I mean, it really isn't. The Pac-12 is pretty down. It's down every year. The ACC is down. Let's not act like Oregon and Wake Forest are playing amazing competition either. So, um, yeah, Cincinnati definitely got slighted. Um, but you know, all they can do is just keep winning. Keep taking care of their business. It's unfortunate the committee won't even rank the teams, though, that are supposed to be their best opponents remaining, SMU and Houston, um, because I thought both those teams should have been ranked. They didn't rank either. Hopefully those teams are ranked by the time Cincinnati plays them, though, uh, because those could be two quality wins for them. But, um, yeah, the committee, it, it's no surprise. They do this every year. Um, you know, Notre Dame. We yeah, I feel the same way. You know, they're usually overrated, but this year I'm kind of a Notre Dame fan just because I want Cincinnati to get that opportunity come playoff time. So um and and South Bend's not an easy place to go win, regardless of how you feel about Notre Dame. A lot of Notre Dame slip-ups come when they're on the road or they're in a big hostile, you know, they're in a neutral side game against some really good team, but when they're at home, Notre Dame's a tough team to beat, and Cincinnati went in there and knocked them off. I don't care. When it was, how it was, a lot of people didn't think Cincinnati would win that game coming into the year or even going into the week. Um, a lot of people doubted Cincinnati, and they came out and got the, the dub. So I think like everyone – Cincinnati should have everyone's respect after that. I agree as well. I think it will it'll work out for Cincinnati. I do feel eventually they handle their business, especially with SMU and Houston kind of ranked. They might have a chance when it's all said and done to be on those rare – Rare situations where a non-power five school beats three ranked teams in the regular season. Like that's that's kind of rare. So because usually historically, if a power five non-power five, I might add, has a chance, they dominate their conference. But you know, that AAC's been competitive. So yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but I do feel like Oregon has one more loss in them. And I think once that happens, uh that'll open the door for right. the Bearcats. If, yeah. The last point with Oregon is uh I mean, if you lose to a solid team, it's okay. But when you lose to one of the worst teams in your conference, it, it just kind of makes it it's, – it's hard to ignore that. Regardless of you having injuries, whatever the case may be, they're still not a good football team. Um, but with the Oregon loss, you know, they did have some things going against them. Injuries, uh, the refs were not great in that game. Um, so I will give them a pass in terms of like making the playoff and being ranked high, but ranked ahead of Cincinnati, I would not give them that. I would not give them that indeed. And yeah. then NFL wise, intrigued to see how the Saints look against Atlanta. I think this is a nice little tune-up mm-hmm. game for Simeon. If he looks decent, I think it projects forward as something to look forward to if you're a Saints fan. Uh Kansas City against Green Bay, even without Aaron Rodgers, it's still gonna be a good game. So Kansas City. Can this be their get right game before the bye? Because you have them, the Raiders, and Dallas before you head to the bye week in week 12. So you need to at least win two of those three. I'm not saying you got to win three, all of them, but at least win two of those three. And this is the one you can get a nice little steal. And 
another one, Cleveland and Cincinnati. I think that the battle of um two Ohio teams. Uh, this is important, I think, for both squads, but I think it's really important for Cincinnati. That New York loss was not a good one. You're five and three on the season. Now you have a nice little rivalry matchup with Cleveland. And historically, they've matched up well with Cleveland over the years. Last year, when they played in Cincinnati, it was a tight knit game, and Cleveland was able to get the dub because Mayfield played out of his mind. If you can't beat a Cleveland team with a compromised Baker Mayfield and a squad overall in turmoil after the Odell Beckham situation, then you're not ready. Um, because right now, three of your losses, two of them are against Chicago and New York, two teams that aren't going to be playoff contenders. Right now, it looks like you're ahead of schedule, but you may not be ready for the big lights. This is a big time game for them. They need to come out on top. I think to send a message that they are genuine. Definitely. All right, Will. Thanks. Thanks for uh, being on. Um, and with that, guys, I'll be back with episode 34 of Independent Intel next week. Until then, see you then. Peace.